Welcome back to the Sip and Feast podcast. Today we are talking Thanksgiving and what is the most important part of Thanksgiving, Tara? It's not the turkey, at least not in your opinion. It's the sides. This is what you got to do. Picture not having any of those sides and just having a turkey. How how excited would you be about that meal? Depends. The turkey's like deep fried with Cajun seasoning, I'd be pretty damn excited. But I would feel like something's missing. Like I would feel the sides were missing. So that's the one exception if it's a deep fried turkey, which, you know, that's great. A little dangerous. It's uh, not what we're going to go into today. Today we're talking sides. Next week, Tara, we're going to discuss what, the plan of attack? By the time this podcast that we're recording right now airs, it'll be about two and a half weeks to prepare for Thanksgiving. So we wanted to kind of talk through the sides today, but the next episode will be the Thanksgiving plan of attack. Not just sharing which dishes or recipes you might want to use, but when you should start to prepare them. If you're going to brine a turkey, you're going to have to defrost that turkey X number of days in advance, brine it X number of days in advance, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to go through that whole plan of attack and kind of give you like a day-by-day sequence of what you should be doing. And I think that's an important thing to do because you might not cook so much, but you want to have a great meal that day. Not everybody cooks all the time, Tara, you know? Yeah. But Thanksgiving is one of those days where, yeah, you can go out to eat. And we actually went out to eat last year. <laughs> we did around we here. Did. It wasn't that good. It, it kind of wasn't, it wasn't I, worth it. I think it was good. The one thing that I thought was missing was that feeling of being in your house. We were getting tired of continuously hosting every holiday. So we said, you know what? We need a break. Let's all go out. And so our family went out together with, you know, Jim's parents, my parents, um, Jimmy's brother came. We all went out to a place around here, the Three Village Inn, that does a lovely catered Thanksgiving dinner. And they have everything. And it was prepared by their French chef. So the food was the food was excellent. Yeah, I mean, look. No, it was. I didn't like the crowd there, and I didn't like the uh, waiting. The service was not the best. But I think that's just because there was a massive amount of people there being seated at different times. Like, they had different seatings. The one thing that I felt was missing was when we all left, I was like, kind of sad that we were just going back to our house alone and and that our family wasn't going to be there. So that part was missing. So yeah, enough of the main course. That'll be in next week's episode. I thought it'd be interesting, Jim, if I asked you to choose if you could only serve five sides for Thanksgiving, what would those sides be? So that is a great question. We will get to that at the end of the episode because right now we're going to go through probably... 20 sides, and some of them you might not have heard of. Some of the classic sides that I thought we could talk a little bit about, um, I've got them listed here. I'm going to try my best to kind of categorize them, starting with potatoes. So I have mashed potatoes, right, which is probably the perfect vehicle for, for gravy consumption, right, and scalloped potatoes, yeah, you could put old gratin too. Okay. Well, what do you what are your thoughts 
And you could do twice baked, and yeah. there's, there's a whole bunch of other ones you could do. Home fries, uh, which is doesn't get a lot of respect for a Thanksgiving side, but honestly, I think that's probably better than all of the potato ones. You know, when you go to Peter Luger, when you go to a steakhouse, you always want to get the home fries more than the mashed potatoes. On Thanksgiving, knowing that there's going to be turkey, you would opt for home fries over mashed potatoes. If you're a potato person, why not have both? Now, look, if you're going to do mashed potatoes, I suggest you do them right. I've seen professional chefs say that boxed mashed potatoes are the exact same as regular mashed potatoes. I don't think so. I can always tell the difference. I can too. I don't love the boxed mashed potatoes. They remind me of the mashed potatoes that I would get in my high school cafeteria, which at the time I enjoyed them. If they had mashed potatoes, I was first in line for those. But today, no, I wouldn't. They say that the mashed, all they are is exactly a dehydrated potato. So there is no effective difference. You just need to put the moisture back into them. Mm-hmm. But I do taste a difference. I do too. Anyway, make real mashed potatoes. And I suggest you go for roasted garlic mashed potatoes and don't be shy on the roasted garlic. When you use roasted garlic, you can use like three heads of it. It really mellows out the garlic. It's delicious. You could just eat the cloves by themselves. You could put a ton of them in there. You could put some chives in there. You can make them look really good. And what is your secret to the best mashed potatoes? You need to use a ricer if you want to have good mashed potatoes. Can you make mashed potatoes okay with a mixer? Yeah, you can make them okay. You can use a hand mixer. What's that called? A hand masher. Mm-hmm. A potato masher, that'll give you a more rustic mash. But if you want a smooth, light, and airy mash, you got to go with a potato ricer. That's a good tool to have because it will also serve you well if you ever decide to make yoki. Mm-hmm. And there's a few other things you could do with it too. Yep. Like potato pancakes. Yeah. You want all these things to be light because once you start whisking with that electric mi- mixer, you're just creating a paste. It's like spackle. Yeah, spackle. Yeah. You just like, you can fix a wall with it. All right, let's move on to the next one. I'm going to bucket these two together because they're both orange. <laughs> Sweet potato casserole and roasted butternut squash with cinnamon and pumpkin seeds. So let's do, tackle those two together. It's called cinnamon roasted butternut squash with pumpkin seeds. A delicious side. Now, is it going to replace sweet potatoes for you, it won't. Where it can be placed is if you like to do sweet potatoes in chunks with like cinnamon and brown sugar, there it can replace it. Again, I'm gonna say you probably like sweet potatoes more, but where it definitely can't replace is the sweet potato casserole. Now I'm a huge fan of that. Are you, Tara, or not? I didn't used to. I don't really wanna (laughs) say why I didn't used to. Why didn't you used to? Say it. (laughs) Well, I didn't. We wanna know. So. I grew up having the plain sweet potatoes, you know, that that my mom would make. And I think a a lot of people always had the marshmallows on top of theirs. And my mom, sorry, mom, I know you're probably listening. My mom didn't like the the marshmallows. She said they were gross or whatever. So I grew up not liking it. And I, I mean, I grew up not having it, actually, so that I think the first few times I did have it, I didn't like it. Because it was in my mind that I shouldn't like it. My, but now I do. Okay, but the, the marshmallows are really associated with the South. They're not really a Northeastern thing. But so many people I knew, friends I had, they always had 
up here. The really. marshmallows. So, so yeah. my whole family, my whole extended family, yeah. a lot of cooks, nobody ever used the marshmallows. It would, And they rarely even used like pecans or anything. It would be just brown sugar, cinnamon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even when we went to Mirabella, which, uh, not Mirabella, it used to be Mirabella. It's called the Three Village Inn, the place that Tara was, was talking about where we went last year. They actually had sweet potatoes there. And yeah, they didn't do the marshmallows either. They did it just with the cinnamon, brown sugar. Yeah, you don't need the marshmallows. Yeah, but they're good. They are good. It's almost like like a dessert when you're having dinner. So we have that on the site. Personally, I think it's I think it's great. And we don't just have the marshmallows, we have pecans in it too. Yeah, pecans too. Yeah. Yeah. So in 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 New York you say pecans. Uh, down south you say pecans. Pecan. You say pecans. Moving on. I have two things, very different, but also very similar. And one of them may or may not be a side dish. You ready? Macaroni and cheese and lasagna. Okay, well, lasagna- Can you explain is, that? Yeah, lasagna is definitely not a side dish. We used to, in our family, we would always do lasagna or stuffed shells or managot. That would always be before the meal. So that was and kind of like- It's very typical. Yeah, in Italian-American households, yeah. lasagna, or like you said, like one of those other baked pastas with cheese is a typical first course. So you'd, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it more next week, but- Same thing on Christmas too, like same thing for the Christmas yeah. meal. So if you're going to have lasagna as your first course, would you still have a mac and cheese side for later? So we never did mac and cheese ever. I That was something- I was always jealous because I think, again, that's more of a Southern thing. I would always want to add that in. And my mom always had it all set already. And she was like, Jimmy, there's no room for the mac and cheese. And I was like, oh, well, get rid of the Brussels sprouts or something. No, she didn't make Brussels (laughs) sprouts either, but it was something. Um, Yeah, we didn't didn't have the mac and cheese. Now, would you do both is your question? I mean, look. Here's, this is the eternal question. Are you going to have two or three sides and Uncle Bob and Aunt Betty whispering under their breath that you didn't do a good enough job, you know? Or are you going to do like 20 sides and then have Uncle Bob and Aunt Betty say, who the heck does he think he is, you know, doing 20 sides? <laughs> so you can't win either way. I, I think a good number for a regular size gathering, which is probably about eight or 10 people, would be about eight sides. Okay. Sounds about right. So I think you could definitely include it in there. Right. Yeah. It's and a very Italian-American thing. Uh, I, I know this from all my friends who, you know, the, the type of meals they would have and, and my whole extended family. It was just something that we always did. And then, you know, to further confirm that, you can go on Facebook groups or whatever and see there's so many so many groups devoted to just like Italian food and so many people are having the same things for Thanksgiving and for mm-hmm. Christmas and Easter. All right, Jim, let's move on. Yep. Stuffing. And I don't, when I say stuffing, I mean, AKA dressing, right? Yeah. Well, it's stu- it's again, called different it's things. Stuffing in the Northeast, right? dressing down South. Mm-hmm. Stuffing is a great one. We have a couple different recipes. I think we have just a regular sage and onion stuffing. That's kind of the one that, the Stouffer's box stuffing tries to imitate, mm-hmm. okay? That's like your one of your most typical stuffings. And a stuffing is really simple to make. If you have it, use good chicken stock, egg, your bread. You know, I like the country white bread is fine. Put a lot of onions, celery, 
sage. Really, really simple. You get, you know, you get the egg in there so it all comes together. You could stuff your bird if you want. People don't really do that anymore. But you could just bake it in a casserole dish. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Then we also have one with sausage. That's Which right. one do you like more, Tara? Okay. Do you really want to know how I feel? Yeah. I don't like stuffing. That is an unpopular opinion, and I am very okay, <laughs> very okay with expressing my unpopular opinion. If I had to choose between those two, I would probably choose the one with the sausage. However, the only stuffing I actually ever really liked, where I actually went for seconds of it, was a long time ago, maybe like two or three years in a row, you made a stuffing with cornbread, freshly made cornbread, or maybe it was stale cornbread, I don't remember, but it was homemade cornbread. And you put chestnuts in it. Do you remember when you made that? Yeah, chestnuts are a pain, especially if you're using the, you know, the whole ones, not not the already uh, shelled. I remember making it. My biggest problem with that type of stuffing using cornbread is cornbread is oh, it's not hard. It's you, moist. Stuffing you need you need something hard so yeah. it'll maintain a little bit of texture uh, from the baking because you're wetting the whole thing and then you're baking mm-hmm. it. It tasted good. I remember it. It didn't become a forever recipe. Yeah. I like going with the sausage one. I think that's a really good one. Yeah, I'm not a stuffing person. Moving on. Since we're talking stuffing, let's talk bread. Dinner rolls, specifically. They're very easy to make. If if you're a little apprehensive of making any type of bread, making rolls, buns, whatever, is the easiest type of bread to start with as a beginning bread maker. Agree. It's not nothing like when, and we were talking about this in the last episode with the, I'm not saying la, with the la, Crusade. I I kept saying lime. Like all the comments are like 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 not trying to be pandentic. Well, you are being pandentic if you're telling me that. I'm, <laughs> like that's exactly what you're being. Look, Crusade. You have to use ideally not an enameled one, and you're doing you know you're doing stretch and folds, and you're using steam in your oven and a variety of techniques. That is nothing like doing dinner rolls. Dinner rolls. You're just gonna just mix up your ingredients, let it proof for a while, ball it. Put a little wet towel over there. Let it proof again. Second mm-hmm. proof, get it in the oven. A little butter, garlic, done. I love making dinner rolls because they give you that satisfaction of creating something. I think anytime I've made anything with yeast that has come out successfully, it makes me feel so so much more proud of myself and my culinary skills than when I made any other food. You're getting the feeling of exactly how I felt when I mastered the grandma pizza. Yeah. Which, not to brag, <laughs> but the grandma pizza on Sip and Feast is better than any grandma pizza in any place in New York. I'm not kidding. Now listen, I'm, I live far away from Umberto's in uh, New High Park, but we do have another location right here, all right? And I'm telling you, I just, I worked my butt off to get that one perfect. Now, listen, I'm not saying my Sicilian and the, the New York round is is bad. They're, they're great too, but it's the grandma one that is just- It's perfect. Perfect, it's right? perfection. So the feeling you get of doing mm-hmm. that, I'm trying to sell you on making your own pizza. Make your own yeah. pizza. You will feel like a million bucks. It's funny, like, I'm just like thinking like- so often we go into the holidays with these feelings of nervousness or dread or whatever. So anytime we can kind of like increase the flow of dopamine, maybe I have to, I should actually do some research on this. Oxytocin. Because 
uh, yeah, is it oxytocin? Well, it's the that love hormone. But is that what you're releasing when you when you bake something? Well, you get you get a, a immense feeling of satisfaction. Being satisfied is something that we all lack these days. We're mm -hmm. all nervous and overworked and overstressed. So when you see something like bread, especially a pizza, which could be a three-day cold ferment, mm -hmm. and you see it from the beginning stages yeah. to, to its end stage, it's it's immensely satisfying. Maybe you can kind of counteract some of those feelings of nervousness knowing that you're going to make something that maybe will give you a little bit of a an emotional lift. And it's a natural, real emotional lift, unlike saying like taking drugs or something like that, which would be like, you're actually, you're, you're doing what drugs would do to a person. You're giving mm -hmm. yourself those natural endorphins. Uh, I actually think that's a big part of why baking and candy making and all that stuff is really, it, it like kind of takes you in. It almost becomes like an addiction into mm -hmm. itself because it's a hard thing to master. There's great cooks, chefs, who just really don't do a lot in the baking realm because it really is a whole nother dimension. Mm -hmm. I'm a novice with bread compared to my cooking abilities. Yeah. Though yeah. the pizza, you know, I, that is bread making. So, you know, I would consider myself pretty, pretty good at that. I would say though, maybe you consider yourself a novice. Any recipe that we put up on the website is fully tested and vetted and perfected. So yeah. don't, when you say you're a novice, yeah, but have faith in the recipes oh, yeah, yeah. that we that we put out that they are, that they will come out no. perfectly if you follow the instructions. We, I want I want to just say one thing about that, Tyra. Yeah. yeah, we we stress, and I think a lot of the stress is on me uh, because I'm the one who's writing the recipes and doing the uh, videos for you. But like this week, I already know what I'm going to film. I know one of the recipes I'm going to film because I already tested it last week. And the other one, though, I want to do is called chicken paprikash, right? Mm -hmm. That's how you say it. Is mm -hmm. it? You know, so it's it's a Hungarian, very hun popular Hungarian recipe. And I haven't done any, I haven't done it once. I haven't made it at all. So I can go in blind on Wednesday and do it. And I used to do that when I started YouTube. I don't know if it's now because there's, you know, there's 700,000 plus subscribers. I just have Tara, I just have a lot more pressure now where I just don't, I feel like I'm trying to eliminate all of the criticisms that come into the comment section. And I know that's impossible because people will pick apart anything, yeah. you know? It's just a matter, it's a sheer matter of numbers. Mm -hmm. If you have that many people watching it, I guess I'm trying to do an impossible task. You are. The better advice I've heard is to not read the comments, but I like reading the comments. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes they're not so nice. Next, I'm gonna group together a bunch of veggies. Roasted Brussels sprouts, and carrot combo, honey balsamic Brussels sprouts, maple roasted carrots. Uh, roasted Brussels sprouts and carrots is the easiest one for you to make if you wanna dabble in something super easy. You could even make it ahead of time. Roasted vegetables, you can make them ahead of time, which is a fantastic thing. And we'll talk more about that in our plan of attack next week. Mm -hmm. So that could be roasted broccoli, it could be roasted cauliflower, whatever. A lot of delis will just sell roasted vegetables by the pound for you. They just have them in the case and you know, it's the simplest thing. You don't you don't need to go into a place and spend eight or nine or ten dollars a pound for roasted vegetables. Mm -hmm. So that's easy. 
The other one, the maple uh, Brussels sprouts, not maple Brussels sprouts, honey balsamic. Honey balsamic Brussels sprouts and maple roasted carrots. So those are a little bit more where you would make them right before, but you still could make them in advance and reheat them. Mm -hmm. They're they're, going to stay moist and everything. Honestly, I love both of them. I do too. But I think the carrots are probably better. They're all excellent. Those maple carrots are are yeah. Really good. The maple syrup. Everything we're talking about, I think we have a recipe for every single thing we're talking about, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So next, also a veg, but I'm going to break it out because it's not really like a healthy veg. Creamed spinach. So creamed spinach, I've been making it for a long time. I needed to perfect it for you. So I just did that this week. Most of the cream spinach recipes online are overly cream. There's too much cream. There's too much butter. You really want to look at it and you want it to look greener, kind of like Peter Luger's cream spinach. That's the gold standard. We were discussing this the other day. Like, does does Peter Luger put green food coloring in their <laughs> spinach? It's so green. They might. I mean, you could buy it too because it's sold in stores now. They sell it in the package and they also sell their yeah. bacon. It's the same thing, but- I don't, that's not what they do. I I believe what they do is they'll, they boil the spinach probably in some massive cauldron. And then I think they shock it, shock it with ice water, which will retain more of a green color. Yeah. So if you want to do that, go ahead and do it. If you don't, you can just boil it and then rinse it underwater. The real trick, the secret trick I'm giving to you to make steakhouse quality cream spinach is you need to wring out that spinach in a clean kitchen towel, get all the water out. Then you make a little tiny roux and uh, mix it together. If it's too thick, all you got to do is thin with water. But almost every bad cream spinach is too watery and too much cream. Do you agree with me? I do agree. Yeah, I I don't like it with a lot of cream. I actually really like the way that you did it the other night because it wasn't overly creamy. Um, I put a shallot in it too. There was one, um, Angie, my dad's wife, a few times she made a creamed spinach with parsnips in it do you remember that oh i remember that that was delicious yeah i do remember that so that was like a uh, more involved recipe. yeah yeah it sounds good it's a nice combo oh that was parsnip so good. that's a that's a vegetable that gets no respect it's it's a great vegetable it's a I white love... carrot basically yeah but it doesn't it has it has its own unique Slight, taste. slightly different yeah arguably one of the most important sides cranberry sauce you can't have thanksgiving without your cranberry sauce i can't personally yeah. so i know there are some people who hate homemade cranberry sauce love the canned stuff. Then there's other people. You love the homemade, hate the can. Where do you lie on that spectrum? I believe we spoke about this very early uh, when we started this podcast. So I forget which episode. Did we? Oh, maybe we didn't. No, maybe we did. Yeah, I'm, I'm not positive. You might remember better than I do. I liked the can growing up. I really did enjoy it. Now, my mo- my mother would also make uh, the regular one, you know, the homemade one, which which is nice too. Tara, you like the way my mother makes the homemade one, right? Yeah, and that's very similar to the recipe that we put up on the website. It's very similar to your explain, mom's recipe. Explain what's in ours. Yeah, our recipe has, it does have sugar in it. Cranberries, have sugar in cranberries it. need sugar. Yeah. It's got orange juice. We put orange liqueur, like Grand Gala or Grand Marnier, cinnamon, cloves, orange zest, and vanilla extract. Now, I have had a very excellent cranberry sauce that I've made in the past. I actually think I used Bobby Flay's recipe, and it had bourbon in it, and that was delicious as well. I feel like you could, if you wanted to use bourbon instead of the vanilla extract, you definitely could do that. 
No, definitely. That would that would be good. Yeah. But I, I don't like the cranberry sauce in the can. Yeah, I I, I don't do. even think that's cranberry sauce. It's like jelly. I know. I, I, I know it's like lowbrow or whatever. I like it. Okay. Not apologizing for that. All right. Let's move on to the <laughs> you next just one. just lost credibility with Yeah. They're like, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, well, the sipping feast, you lost me. So let's talk about just a few lesser known sides that we usually make in our home. And I say lesser known because they're not like the typical things that you would think of when you think of Thanksgiving. So I've got baked artichoke hearts with breadcrumbs. Most popular recipe on our site. I hate telling, saying this because if any our competitors are watching, they're gonna try to take the recipe um, and put it on their site. Don't do that. I have a video for it anyway, so watch the video. Uh, yeah, the video is a joint video. Yeah, you the video, did that and the sweet potato that's right. casserole. That's right. The vi- we did the video. I did it last year to uh, get a couple uh, Thanksgiving recipes out. Super popular, very popular with uh, the Italian-American community around the Northeast. They love their artichokes. They're obsessed with artichokes for some reason. They're, what? Some reason? Artichokes well, are wonderful. I don't mean stuffed artichokes either. I mean the mm. artichoke hearts. Because they taste fantastic. Yeah, they're good. And this art, baked artichoke casserole is really similar in flavor profile to a stuffed artichoke, just without all the work. Yeah, and you know, I would imagine you would never do stuffed artichokes on Thanksgiving. Stuffed artichokes are normally done on Easter. That's when... A lot of families will do it, though I'm sure maybe your family does do it on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Who knows? But they are a lot of work. Uh, Yeah, this gives you all that flavor, so I love it. Okay. Your mom's Italian Italian potato casserole. That's my grandmother's. Your grandmother's? Okay. Yeah, and and it's not really my grandmother's. I mean, I think she made it a few times, but it's it's funny. That casserole is from Basso Legato. That is... There's not a lot of dishes from that area of mm-hmm. Italy that have become popular in America. There's that chicken one I want to do too called Polo uh, Potentina. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, but that uh, potato casserole is supposedly from Basilegata, and my grandmother would do that, but she would also do one with zucchini. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you're looking for a nice potato casserole, that would be good on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. All right. And another lesser known side baked cauliflower with cheese and breadcrumbs. Yeah, this is very similar to the artichoke one. If you're not into the canned artichokes, canned artichokes have a tanginess from the citric acid that they're kept in. And then we also add a little bit of lemon juice and white wine into it, so it like kicks it up even more. If you're more of a cauliflower uh, man or woman, then go go for that one. It's mm-hmm. really good too. You like that one also. Yeah, yeah, it's delicious. I love it. There are probably quite a number of sides that we didn't talk about yet. There are two sides in particular that I didn't talk about because I don't like them, but I think we should talk about well, them Well, I'm sure I can guess because yeah. it's one that's very much absent so far. Yes. So we'll save that one. First one, creamed corn. So creamed corn I think is good. Just I would make it myself. I wouldn't pop up in a can of it. I think it, what could turn you off and other people off would be it's sweet. I used to like creamed corn when I was a kid. That was some like we would have it out of the can. That was something that I used to like. I don't like it as an adult, and I don't think I ever had homemade creamed corn. I only have had it in the can, and that's why maybe I don't like it. I, I've never made creamed corn in my life. I would imagine you're just going to make a roux. Probably the canned version probably uses sweetened condensed milk. I don't know. To probably make it sweeter. 
I mean, you could also throw that into your homemade version if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, it's a simple recipe. There's not a lot of stuff in it. It's going to be flour, cream, butter, flour, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit of onion. That's it. It's sweet. Okay. Probably some sugar added to it, too. Which is nothing wrong with sugar. You know, Tyra got, uh, I saw she flinched before when she had to tell you that we have sugar in our cranberry sauce. If we didn't have sugar in our cranberry sauce, that would be a travesty. It would be horrible. Yeah. It would. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to eat it. Well, Thanksgiving is a day to overindulge if you, if you can. You can't eat the cranberries without sugar in it. The elephant in the room, green bean casserole. The green bean casserole. Uh, they did it last year at the place we went to. I thought they did it well. Uh, I'm sure he did not open up a can of cream and mushroom soup, a can of Campbell's cream and mushroom soup. And, and I was going to make this a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about it. We have like our whole content calendar. And I was just like, screw it. You know, like it's just, I don't know what I'm going to be able to add to the, to the annals of the, you know, the green bean casserole. Like you don't need sip and feast to do that for you. Just type it in and you'll find a ton of blogs that will have it. The only green bean casserole I ever liked was, and again, we're not sponsored by Trader Joe's. I just happen to like them. Um, when we were living in Minnesota, the Trader Joe's there would oftentimes serve samples of various combinations of their ingredients that you could buy. And they did have a green bean casserole that was good. It was made with like their packaged fresh haricot vert. It was their cream of mushroom soup in a box that they use, I think, portobello mushrooms for. So it's supposedly, you know, like an elevated cream of mushroom soup, step above Campbell's perhaps, um, and their crispy onions. So I did have it. I didn't, I did like that one, but again, I don't ever need to have a green bean casserole, the Thanksgiving style green bean casserole in my whole life. I do like it. I, you know, if I want to elevate it, what I can do is, as Tara said, I can use not just white mushrooms. So you could use fancy mushrooms. I would make a roux, thicken it up. Uh, I would probably use white wine in it. I think that's a, definitely a way to differentiate it from the standard Campbell's one. Uh, I would use fresh green beans. And if you really want to get, you want to get crazy, you want to get nuts, you know, do your own onion, your fried onions yourself. I mean, to me, it just seems way too much work for something that is totally acceptable by following the Campbell's recipe. And it's too much work, I think, for green beans, which are just good with some garlic and oil. Yeah, there's so many like other why green, do you have to green bean recipes you can do. condensed soup on them? Listen, that's a very much a Midwestern thing. And, you know, we lived there for three years and, you know, you know all about hot dish. And Yeah, but I, okay, you say it's Midwestern. I grew up, that was always a side dish that my mom yeah, would make. And I mean, casseroles themselves were a lot, a lot more popular for families when you used to have that nuclear family and you would have the dad go to work and the mom stay at home. I think it has endured in the Midwest because it probably existed before that revolution. It's just hot dish and all that stuff is so popular in the I Midwest. I don't think I ever had hot dish when we were living there. Does And I think, does hot dish have to have tater tots to be considered hot dish? No, I think there's all different types, but most of them did have tater tots yeah. that, I, that I saw. I am yeah. so ignorant of Midwestern food and culture, and I lived there for three years. Yeah, we are. We, Say we don't that honestly. About it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not that I know anything about culture of California or, or any other state. I just mm -hmm. know my little, my little universe that I lived here all but three years of my life.
So we're going to do our top five. This is very tough to do. I, I think that five is not a good number. I think, I said before, I think you need about eight. So this was tough for me. This was very easy for me. It was? What's your number one? Well, I don't have them in number one. I oh, just have, if I could only okay, make- that's fine. If I could only make five sides yeah. for Thanksgiving, what would they be? Okay. Sweet potato casserole. Okay. Garlic mashed potatoes, bros roasted Brussels sprouts and carrots, dinner rolls, cranberry sauce. That's it. Okay. Mine's a little different. So I have number one I have as sweet potato casserole. My number two is the Italian sausage stuffing. That's amazing. Definitely make that one this year. My number three is roasted garlic mashed potatoes. So I agree with Tara about the mashed potatoes. Number four is a new one this year is cream spinach. Delicious. Number five, maple roasted carrots. I think you got to have the variation of colors on your at the table. And then I said, I get a six. It's cranberry sauce. You have to have cranberry sauce. But I don't really think we should, cranberry sauce should be a side. That's like, it's like the turkey. You got to have the turkey. You got to have the cranberry sauce. I mean, if you're going to go that way, you can almost put the mashed potatoes in that category then and the stuffing. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. I think limiting yourself to five sides is a great idea. If you're hosting and you don't want to overwhelm yourself, just say, I'm only going to make five. And what are those five that I'm going to pick? Yeah. And we're going to talk about this in the plan of attack next week, but it's really easy to, if you're, if you're, if you're organized and you know, you could do like a spreadsheet or, or something simpler, you can uh, really attack this easily where you could do a lot of these ahead of time. Cranberry sauce will be even better if you do it ahead of time, but mm -hmm. we'll talk more about that next week. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go into questions. Okay. This message comes from Deborah. Jim, I heard you say that dried parsley has no taste, but the organic dried parsley I use from Costco does have a taste. Not a strong taste, but it adds flavor. I was buying it fresh at the grocery store and then dehydrating the leftover after I made the dish. It tastes better than the Costco dried parsley for sure. It's hard to grow parsley in Florida, or I would. Any advice? I've grown basil. I use it fresh, but I put most of it in the dehydrator after harvesting it. To me, it tastes fine. So I know you'll say, if you like it, use it, but- would you use it? Any other comments about any other dried herbs, especially when using my dehydrator to dry them? Well, Deborah, I, I that is well, that's is what I would say. Uh, I don't want, and I I got to go easy on the dried basil people. All right, I'm don't I'm not taking it back. You really should be doing what you, what you want to do at all times. You know, don't I'm not some I'm not the ultimate authority on this stuff. So. It's kind of like your shtick yeah. that, you, that you don't like dried basil. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, you know, we were talking about having a, you know, dry, no dried basil zone here. But um, as far as the parsley, she said that the parsley from Costco is good or not good? Not good. No, she said it's good. She I, said that it, ha it, it has a taste, not a strong taste, but it adds flavor. The parsley that she dehydrates at home is better than the Costco one. I don't dehydrate my parsley, so I don't know. I, I have the Costco one, the one you're talking about. It, it, to me, it has no taste. I would simply say that the dried stuff gives color when it comes to ba when it comes to parsley. Basil, it has a taste. I don't like the taste. I would just simply ask, and I'm not saying we have to duplicate everything that they do in Italy or whatnot, but I have a high confidence of saying you will not find a restaurant in Italy 
that is using dried basil, like at all. And and I would go out on a limb and say you won't find most restaurants using dried ba- uh, dried parsley. It's just to me, it doesn't have much taste. Parsley has a very let me describe the taste of parsley. This is the best way to see why you really can't use dried. Parsley tastes like freshness. That's what parsley tastes like. Hmm. Once you dry it, it defeats the whole purpose. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Like you put it on your you know, linguine olive angle, you put on your parsley. It just freshens it. It brightens it more. Put a little bit, you know, in your soup, brightens it up. Put a little bit on your chicken franchise, brightens the dish, gives a great color. What about with dried breadcrumbs? Like well, adding I do, dried dried parsley to breadcrumbs. Again, it will give some color into your breadcrumbs, yeah. which is an important component. Colors, the way things look, are important when you're cooking. Mm-hmm. That's all I got there. I mean, I try to try to be truthful here. Okay. Next is from Jeffrey. Jeffrey is a self-described former Comacian. So Jeffrey used to live in Comac, which oh. is a town in Long Island, just a few towns west of us. Um, Jeffrey says, you mentioned ravioli during the Trader Joe's podcast. You made a great point about making homemade ravioli and how time consuming and labor intensive it can be. There's some okay ravioli in stores, but most brands are awful. You could probably do a show just on this subject alone. I grew up eating Pastosa ravioli and Deer Park ravioli. Both brands are awesome. I'm curious to know, Jim, what ravioli brand do you use? So Jeffrey, I was going to say Deer Park Ravioli, and you just, Tara just said it at the end. So I kind of figured since you're in Comac, or you were in Comac, that that's what, and I'm assuming he's probably not in New York anymore. So that's the thing. If you're in New York, you have access to a lot of these good ravioli places. And what I mean by good is a place like Deer Park Ravioli, or you know all these Italian specialty stores, they will have them, and they're excellent. So the whole thing of making it yourself kind of, it gets, it's hard to do. Now, again, I don't know where you are. If you're talking about like mass produced brands, I really haven't seen too many good ones. I know there is one brand that North Shore Farms used to sell. They were kind of expensive and I've seen some other people using them in videos. So they come in like a bag in in the fruit. Is in, that, could that be the pastosa that, he, that he's talking you about? You know what? That might be it. Let me look it up. Okay. So how do you spell that? B-A-S-T-O-S-A. No, I mean, this pa- pastosa ravioli, they, these are look like, these are homemade. Like, that's from that store. Yeah, but Jeffrey said that where he's located, he's in South Florida, uh, a, an Italian store in his neighborhood does sell pastosa. Oh, yeah, they so they come from, Sta- this is from Staten Island, this place, and they uh, probably sell into other stores. Yeah, these look, Jeffrey, I mean, these look great. I know we spoke about it in the past, and I've I've mentioned it a few times now, so it's the, the homemade pasta is uh, it's kind of a it's a lot of work for in my opinion not the best return. So you're just better off getting if you can find good ravioli, just just get it. If you're doing the homemade ravioli, you're it's much more work than the homemade pasta because mm-hmm. you're making homemade pasta, but then you're also making your filling mm-hmm. and then compressing them, doing them correctly. It's not too hard of a task to learn, but you know, you'll have some mess ups and versus you're buying them from a professional, they're all perfect. Mm -hmm. That's right. The trick to making a really good ravioli is 
And this is why a lot of the store-bought stuff isn't good. The sheets are rolled out too thick. Mm-hmm. You got to be really thin. The thinner you are, though, yeah. the more chance your, roll, your ravioli is going to break, open up. But it's all about that because think about it. If you're using like, you know, a, a, a setting of five, that that's still a thick pasta. But then if you're stacking it twice, because remember, you're getting the top and the bottom right. and then the sides, it's, too thick. it's like really thick. Yeah. And that's like a sign that. of a not too good ravioli. Yeah. I remember Uncle Giuseppe's having decent ravioli, although I haven't had it in years. But they have all sorts of different flavors. I know Trader Joe's has a bunch of different types. Well, that's, and Costco. that's why Jeffrey brought it up yeah. because we talked about the pumpkin ravioli. Yep. From Trader's, I always like Trader Joe's ravioli. They have a porcini mushroom ravioli that's good, and arugula and yeah. cheese ravioli. Ravioli is so good. I mean, I'm sorry to say, I'm being really honest. I was like tearing up a little bit there, but I'm not crying. I actually have glasses now, and uh, my eyes get messed up a lot. Which you should have worn your glasses. No, but I can't use the I glasses the to screen. look. At, yeah. The screen's too far. Yeah. So the the camera is about ten feet from me. Um. I need reading glasses now. Actually, they told me I need not just reading glasses. I need like bifocals. Yeah. Getting old. Tomorrow's um, your birthday. Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be the big four or five. Halloween. Yep. It'll. I will be 45 by the time when you listen to this. So um, yeah, as far as the pasta goes, like all the homemade stuff, I wish I could do more for you on the channel, but I'm just being honest here. We try to like cater to the masses and I don't envision a lot of people wanting to make these recipes because we really want you to make our food that that we put out there. Like, as I said before, when I stress about making a recipe now and it being perfect for you is because I know thousands of you are going to make it. I mean, we will put out a video. It might have 40,000 views by nighttime and we might get like, dozens of people telling us they made it already. I'm sometimes surprised how people, they'll go out and buy the ingredients Mm -hmm. as the video's on and then come back and then make it. So I don't know if that's the case with the homemade pasta. I think that's gonna intimidate a lot of people, but I I still wanna do it, you know? Let us know what you think. Would you make homemade pasta? Would you make homemade ravioli? Let us know. There's some YouTubers that do it. There's a few that, that do it. Every time they when they put those videos out, they don't seem to do too well for them. Mm-hmm. But I think again, it's intimidating a lot of their a lot of their viewer base. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that Are I think you, the beef bergen yawn is an intimidating dish too. And we we our goal was to take all of the intimidation out of it for you. And I think we did that very successfully. Yeah. You know how many people made that dish and said, read the comments in that video. That video has almost a million views. And Read read how many comments are there of people who made it, and they will say, I was so intimidated to make this dish, and you broke it down. That makes me feel better than anything because so many other YouTubers are doing that dish, and they're intimidating people. They are over-intimidating people. Like, there's this guy, Alex, French guy Alex, and, you know, he makes great content and all that, but, like, he'll do, like, multiples on, on a particular recipe, and he just keeps trying to level it up. All that leveling up does for definitely for our audience, is intimidate the people. I think so. And make them not want to make it. Yeah. Well, just as an example, I mean, you put up a video for the homemade gnocchi, and that video didn't really do do well. well at all. None of our homemade gnocchi recipes for the website really do well when I share them on Facebook. It's like nobody's interested in making you know, butternut squash gnocchi, even though they're delicious. Yeah, we have we have three. We have They're sweet just, potato, butternut, and and regular potato gnocchi. Yeah, 
and they're good. And actually, gnocchi is not even that hard to make, but no. just people just don't want to make it. They want to just they want to buy it. It's don't easier. buy don't don't buy gnocchi. That you can buy ravioli. Buying <laughs> buying gnocchi is like it's you're buying like a glue pellet. It's not it's not it tastes nothing yeah. like making good gnocchi is all about using a ricer. You know, you want to have the, use the right potatoes. You want to use like a dry, powdery potato. You want to use russet potatoes that have all the skin on. You're doing them. You could, you know, the best way to do it isn't even the way I did it. You really want to bake them in the oven. You want, but if to you dry do, them out, to dry them out. If you do them in, if you boil them, you got to. You want the skins to be completely on, so it kind of protects them because you don't. The whole idea is not to put water into it. Mm -hmm. You're taking the water out of it. Okay, and then you're mixing with the minimum amount of flour. You know, you're making your rope, you know, you're cutting them. And then you're having the lightest pillows in the world that are delicious. I do think it's worth making your own because I don't think it's as hard. It's not. Yeah. It's not. So are there any more questions or is that that's it? That's it. All right. Well, that's it today. Podcast at sipandfeast.com. That's the email address. Leave your questions and we will hopefully include yours. We love answering your questions. Right, Tara? Yes. I All love right. getting the emails, even if we don't respond to all of them because it is getting harder and harder to do that. I love reading them and we read every single email that comes in. Yep. We'll see you next time.